0: Welcome to A Dog Called Diversity, a podcast from The Culture Ministry, where we explore the themes of diversity, equity and inclusion through sharing stories of personal and powerful lived experiences, including how people have found their feet and developed their career in diversity and inclusion. We're so glad you're listening in, and if you need some help or support with your diversity and inclusion work, go to www.thecultureministry.com for more information. Have you ever wondered why pronouns are important? Do you know the difference between gender identity and sexuality? Do you know what questions are okay to ask a transgender person and those that aren't? In conversation with Lisa Mulligan, Nate Shalev helps us understand the answers to these questions as well as discussing their experience of being diagnosed with autism and how it has allowed them to better understand and advocate for their needs. Nate shares their work on diversity, equity, inclusion, and social impact. They share some of the aha moments they created with people in the workplace, particularly in LGBTQ inclusion and how inclusion work helps everyone. Here's Lisa. Welcome
1: to the podcast, Nate Shalev. It's fantastic to have you here. Hello. It's great to be here. I'm excited to chat with you. Yeah, me too, me too. Um, I wanted just to get started, as I'll do with all my guests, is just get you to tell us a bit about yourself, where you grew up, um, maybe where you're
2: at now, uh, so we can, yeah, understand you a little bit more. Sure. Uh, So my name is Nature Love, my parents are they and them. I grew up in Staten Island, which is in New York City. Uh, It is the greenest borough of New York. It is often the forgotten borough. There's not a whole lot there. Uh, and I'm currently in Brooklyn now. I've I've been in New York my whole life. I went to school here. I haven't left. At some point, I should, but currently have not had the reason to leave.
1: Nice. I always feel like Staten Island. There's some kind of romance with it. Maybe because you get to travel on a ferry to go there.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That you do have to travel on a ferry. It, it does feel very antiquated that when I was traveling to and from Staten Island, that I had to take like the, my best option for transportation was a boat. It felt very like. 19th century to be able to like 19th century early immigration (laughs) getting on a boat going to New York coming to New York the Statue of Liberty is a halfway marker between Staten Island and Manhattan so it's always very funny
1: yeah and I think I love I think I love thinking about Staten Island because of Sex and the City I just think it Mm. romanticized Staten Island anyway um (laughs) (laughs) so at the start you gave us your pronouns which are they them and thank you for sharing those. I wanted to talk a bit about pronouns because sometimes when I get tripped up when I'm if I'm running an event and I'm asking people to share their pronouns to be inclusive, sometimes people don't want to. They they have a personal issue about it. They just want to be seen as who they are. How do you how do you explain why pronouns are so important? Yeah,
2: it's very interesting that you uh mentioned that people just want to be seen as who they are because that's exactly what pronouns uh are are good for. So pronouns yeah. in English are just how we describe people and objects. Uh I'm holding a pen. This is my pen. Our conversation, uh your shirt, that microphone right? Well, not that microphone, but like the microphone would be it, right? So it's just the way that we describe things. Uh, And in English, because pronouns are gendered when we're describing people, it's a way to affirm somebody's gender identity or somebody's gender because pronouns are gendered. So he, she, uh, they, right, are are the most common pronouns in English. And so the reason why pronouns are so important is because they're gendered. And so because when we are speaking to somebody or about somebody, we're also then invoking somebody's gender. And we want to be able to, as you said, just have people be able to show up as who they are. And we don't always know somebody's gender by looking at them. We don't always know somebody's pronouns by looking at them. And so we want to normalize it as much as possible, introducing ourselves with our pronouns, having pronouns in Zoom names or on name tags everywhere. So we don't actually have to ask somebody who might not be comfortable sharing, but we normalize it enough so we, so we can know without actually having to, to have somebody ask and share if they, if they don't want to.
1: And you identify as they them. So do you also say, well, you're non-binary, you don't identify as either female or male?
2: Yeah, so so I I, I am non-binary, but um, it's not something that I would say in conversation, because it's not something that somebody necessarily needs to know about me in a casual conversation. But somebody does need to know my pronouns if we're in a group setting, and somebody wants to, to refer to me then they do need to know my pronouns so they can refer to me in the way that I want to be referred to. And so in conversation, it makes sense because it's part of language. It's the same way as, as we're introducing our names. I want to be able to call you by your name in the same way that I want to be referred to by, by the pronouns I want to be referred to as.
1: Yeah, cool. As you were speaking, I was remembering I lived in Singapore for about eight years, and you can have live-in help in Singapore, and I had a one, uh, we call them helpers or maids, and I can remember – one a woman in particular who would refer to my boys as she. And it was because the language that she grew up learning didn't have those gendered, um, I guess, <laughs> words in the language. And so it was very hard. But I can remember being really annoyed, like, it's he, <laughs> not she. Um, and so I think that's an example of when you get get the pronouns wrong or you don't respect people's pronouns it's very difficult right yeah
2: Yeah, and 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 that's exactly it people who don't have to constantly assert who they are because people just assume correctly then they Mm. don't feel like they need to have like have pronouns be a part of the conversation but folks whose gender isn't necessarily seen as they want to be seen all the time then it becomes really important because we want to make sure that we are referring to folks in, in that way I mean it's important for everyone um to always assert and be able to have that autonomy in any conversation. Um, But particularly I think what happens when when folks uh, don't have to have that experience consistently, then they they devalue it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Tell me a bit about trans
1: inclusion. I know that you do work in this space um, and there is a whole lot of stuff going on in the US, also in Australia where I'm from and other parts of the world. Um, where we're seeing violence against transgender people. Tell me about how you sit with all this.
2: Yeah. So I think that the first thing to note is just that we all we all have a gender and that we all develop gender in, in similar ways. So when we're born, we get a sex assigned at birth, and that can be female or male. Um, and even within female or male, there's a ton of variation. So three babies that are assigned female at birth can all have different levels of chromosomes, or, or um, genitalia or other biological indicators. And so we also have intersex as well, which is when there's some ambiguity um, within sex assigned at birth. And then from there, we start to develop a sense of our gender identity, which is how we think about our gender in, internally inside of our heads. And that can develop from age three. And sometimes from age three, we've got it. And we're like, this is my gender. And that's how I'm thinking about it forever. And sometimes it changes over our lives. And then we've got our gender expression, how we want to express that gender through our clothes and our body language. Uh, our hair however whatever means of expression we have that's our gender expression and so those three things are how we're thinking about our gender and for uh for transgender folks we're thinking about when our sex assigned at birth doesn't align with our with our gender identity how we're thinking about our gender internally and then that's transgender and then cisgender folks are when it does align and so at its core that's 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 all that's all we're talking about is how our sex assigned at birth aligns with how we're thinking about our gender and how we have an internal sense of our gender. And so often I think we can think about trans identities as being so complicated. And, and what I want to encourage folks to really think about is that we all have, we all have a gender and trans folks have, have trans experiences and come to one understanding of our gender. Um, but cisgender folks also have a, have an understanding of, of gender as well. There's a thousand ways to be a woman. There's a thousand ways to, to be a man and there's a thousand ways to be trans you can be binary or trans. You want to be a trans man or a trans woman. Non-binary identities under trans, which um, can be agender or or genderqueer things like that. And so, at, that's at its core. Um, it's it's not complicated, even though people want to make it seem super complicated. Um, it's 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 not. So that's the, that's just the first thing. Yeah. yeah. And so, why why
1: do you think people have such an issue? With people who are different, who are maybe not cis male, cis female. Like, where is this violence coming from?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that we've we have this understanding of um, we have uh, just biases on the way that labels are perceived and the way that trans folks have been perceived in the media throughout history has been the sense that um, trans folks are hiding something or there's something wrong with them, and often it's just folks not being able to understand experiences that are different than their own. That because our gender is internal and folks can start to have like, a second by age three, you've got kids saying, I'm a boy, I'm a girl, I'm not a boy, I'm not a girl. This includes gender expansive kids to say, I'm both, I'm neither. You're calling me a boy, but I am a girl. And so we think it's innate. And so with some folks, there is this innate sense of gender from the very beginning, and that's all. And so, some folks, it takes a little bit longer to have this understanding of, of gender. And so I think because of that, that we think it's innate and we think it's, it's set. And then we've got all these expectations around what is a boy, what is a girl, what does this mean? It can feel like a, tra- like a transgression, I guess pun intended, but it can feel like, tr- it can feel very much like we are um, uh, going against some sort of value, but these values are not, are not they're not real and they're not related to, to gender. And so I think that's that's one bucket. And then I think the second bucket is just because people can. So when we're thinking about, uh, or le- rather legislator- le- legislation- legislators can, and um, when we're thinking about the LGBTQ rights movement in the U.S., legislation that protected sexuality was able to pass because it took out specifically protections against trans folks. And so it was a conscious decision to not include trans folks in many of the legislation throughout, throughout this history, because it was harder to come along. And so now we're kind of seeing the results of that. A lot of the rhetoric now is echoing what happened earlier, um, around, uh, around the, then it was gays and lesbians specifically, but what happened, Mm -hmm. I would say, um, much earlier on in, in the movement. And we're seeing a lot of the same things just repeated, but but for trans folks now. Right. I've
1: also been hearing that being transgender is, is like a conspiracy and pharmaceutical companies. So for transgender folks who want to go through hormone transition, yeah, you're nodding at me. <laughs> um, yeah. It's like, oh, the pharmaceutical companies are, you know, they're making money out of this. And 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 that's why people are changing genders and i've spoken with and have friends who are transgender and i have learned that there is no way in hell you would you would want to do that to change gender if you didn't you know really believe that you were in almost the wrong body i guess and yeah what what's your reaction to some
2: of these they're like conspiracy theories, I think. I don't know. I, don't, I'm like, I mean to think that's right. Yeah. So the first thing that I would say is not all trans folks are going to take medical actions to transition. Mm-hmm. So uh, because our because when we're thinking about transgender, we're thinking about how our sex sex assigned at birth doesn't align with our gender identity. And folks may take actions to affirm that gender identity through uh, legal transitions, like changing IDs and changing names. Through social transition, like changing uh, changing pronouns, changing a name, how we dress, how we um, how we present ourselves, or through medical transition, which can be surgery or hormones. And some trans folks take take no actions at all, and we're all still trans. So there's no one way to to be trans. And so first, what I would say to that is, um, the percentage of the population that is trans is is it's a small portion of the population. And then even within the trans community, there's there's an even smaller portion who is um, is taking medical action to affirm our gender within that. Um, so I would actually say it's not even a sizable number to actually have that tri- conspiracy theory be valid in any way, shape, or form. And I know in the U.S., it's really hard. Um, it was really hard before all of this to actually get access to to healthcare and transition-related healthcare. You have to um, often have a uh, uh, therapist notes. You have to, It's 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 really not, it's not an easy thing to do and and there's a there's a many many checks and checks within that in order to even be able to access access the care itself, yeah, so it's not like everyone is able to get it whenever they want no even though, even though i think I think you should um but it's not it's it's not the case no, and
1: even being able to access hormone replacement therapy as a woman you know, in your forties and fifties that's sure. that's not even an easy path right when you're going no. through perimenopause and menopause that and so like, That's right. yeah, it, yeah, crazy, crazy, um <laughs> I wondered if you'd share a bit of your own personal experience, identifying as non-binary, and I guess, when did you know, was it growing up that you knew, or was it a late, you know, as an adult that that you really wanted to present in a different way? Would
2: you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's 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 a great question. And so a, a good way to explain is how I started to use they, them pronouns. So I started to use they, them pronouns in 2013. I went to a, a queer summer camp for adults. It was super fun it was in the mountains of California. It was an LGBTQ centric environment. It was really, really wonderful. And it was there that I met my first person who used they, them pronouns. Uh, they were somebody who described their gender identity in a similar way to mine. At that point, I was exploring. I had always been uh, on the more masculine side of gender expression um, and so being able to see somebody within this very safe environment and have this role model, I was like, Oh, maybe this might fit me. This might be something that works for me. And so in right after I got home from that camp, I just started to try it. I started to try they and them pronouns and it just fit. It just felt more like me when somebody referred to me with they them pronouns. It felt like they were seeing me for who I was. I was just more comfortable really in the world and just, uh, in, in general environments. And that's really how it happens. We think about LGBTQ identities as being super complicated. There are so many letters. What do we do? But often how it happens is we have an experience that makes sense to us. It creates a new understanding of who we are. And then we try to find a label that matches that that experience. And we can't find a label. We find another one. And if we find no labels, then we just make up new ones until something actually fits. And that's really how that's really how it happens. And so for me, that's also how my gender happened, my like gender, I would say journey happened, where I was just trying to find things that made me feel more like me in the world. So be them pronouns, how I dress, um, uh, my name, all these different things where it was like, okay, this isn't fitting right. What is something that can fit right? And so I would encourage folks to think the same way, right? That um uh not all women love dresses, right? Not all women love makeup. Some do, some don't. And so whatever process you have about how you're describing your own gender, think about how it happened. More often than not, you're just trying to explore things. It's a mix of, mm. of what we feel innately, what society is telling us, how we're managing kind of the expectations around us and kind of what that negotiation is in the middle of how we land on gender and what it means for us. So,
1: so two things. I want to go to adult summer count. That sounds amazing. Highly recommend it. Um, The second thing, I wanted to talk about your name. So your name is Nate Shalev. So did you decide your first name? Did you change your first name from what
2: was given to you? I did, yeah. I changed my first name and then I also changed my last name when when I got married that we created a new name together. So I have got forged my own identity.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And tell us about the meaning of your married I guess your surname.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my last name is Shalev. It's a Hebrew word. It means uh, like serene or peaceful. And my wife and I tried a bunch of different things. We wanted things that spoke to what our what our um, given last names were. And so Shalev is kind of a combination of, of hers and mine. So that felt right. Uh, and then it just felt like a nice reminder to be able to like be grounded in, in the world.
1: Yeah, that's so nice. I wish more people would think about the name and the meaning. Um, I get really worked up when women change their name when they get married, in a in a male female marriage, they'll they'll change yeah. it to the man's name, and the the meaning of doing that over history around how women are owned and that you know you're owned. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I could go on forever about that. So I think it's really lovely to choose something that's meaningful for both of you rather yeah. than hold on to a archaic ownership kind of
2: thing. Anyway, I'll stop going on about that. Um, I mean, mean, you're absolutely right. It's one of the more beautiful things about queer communities is that we can think about things expansively. And once you've got one thing that uh, is going against the norm, you feel very free that to, that kind of everything becomes up for question. you're like, why am I doing this? Does this make sense to me? What can I do differently? And so I think that's, that's part of it. Yeah. Cool.
1: Now, Listeners may not know this, but I always have a pre-chat with my guests to work out what we're going to talk about. Um, and one of the things that happened in the pre-chat with Nate was I asked a question about what sex you were born as, what what sex was assigned to you at birth. And Nate said, you shouldn't ask that question. And so it was a really, it was a good learning opportunity for me. So for for trans people, why shouldn't you ask what sex they were born or assigned at birth.
2: Yeah. And yes. And I'm glad that we had the conversation. And, (laughs) and, and so what I, what I, what first I'd encourage is to also reframe it to think about not necessarily what we shouldn't say, but what will make folks feel the best. Like we're always trying to affirm and feel and have people feel valued and respected. And so this is part of that, part of that conversation. And so when we're talking about gender, we want to always show in our language that we're understanding that our sex assigned at birth, uh, May or may not align with, with our gender, how we're thinking about our gender internally and how we're thinking about it in, inside of our heads. And so, um, when we're, when we use language like, um, biological man or biological woman or born as or real name or, or real gender or the, or those kinds of things, we're, we're putting that, um, emphasis on our sex assigned at birth. And so it, it makes it feel like our, our gender, how, how, what our gender is. Is either not valid, or or that our sex assigned birth is more valid than what our gender is, and it shows that that um, that that there isn't there isn't that understanding of sex assigned birth uh, being different from 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 our gender, and so we always want to affirm in our language what what our gender is and, and who we are. Great. So people are always curious, and
1: in I've learned in the work that I do that sometimes people are scared. To say the wrong thing, they don't want to offend people. Like, I, I didn't want to offend you by asking that question. But the, ex- the explanation is great. So thank you. What in, in terms
2: of learning, what what other things shouldn't people ask, do you think? Yeah, well, so the first, the, the way that I would frame it is both, um, specifically when we're thinking about talking to trans folks is, uh, like, one, why are you asking it? Is this going to get you closer to somebody? Do you know this person enough to ask them? Intimate and perhaps um, details about their lives that might be traumatic that they don't necessarily want to share. Uh, when we're in a workplace, um, if you're asking about surgeries or medical history, should you really be talking about medical history in the workplace? Most likely not. And then another question that I would that I would have folks say is like, would I ask a cisgender person this? Would I ask somebody else who holds a different uh, holds a different identity this same question? If the answer is no, you shouldn't ask it. You're not going to ask a, um, a cisgender woman about the surgeries that she's had. Uh, you're not going to ask, you know, you're not going to ask really anyone about it, anyone of any gender, about their medical history, Um, because it's not really a topic of conversation that uh, is really necessary for most of our day to day interaction, unless you're my doctor or unless you're going to help me recover from a surgery, and that's why we're talking about it. Um, yeah. It's really the only reason why we would need to know. And so I would say those kinds of questions are just a good framework to think about. So any kind of questions about like biology, or um, I would even say like origin histories or family narratives. Um, things about childhood, especially in workplace, uh, a workplace, often like a common icebreaker is to bring in baby photos, and so I, I would just encourage folks to just rethink that, particularly for trans folks or even folks who have had more difficult childhoods and they don't want to talk about that with coworkers or,
1: or with other folks. Yeah, cool. I think that's really helpful, and one of the things I've learned in my work is sometimes you don't need to know. And sometimes it's none of your business, right? And I think your point about the workplace is completely valid. Um, And
2: what I will say is around curiosity is that there actually is a ton of uh, media already out there. There are memoirs that have been written. There are trans podcasters. There are, you know, trans creators who are actually actively talking about this in an environment that feels good for them. And so I would say if you're curious, which I think you're right that it's natural, go seek it out like, go seek out the information where it's already there not in your coworker not in this random person that you're just meeting for the first time. Yeah, cool.
1: You were diagnosed with, on the autism spectrum
2: recently. So tell me about that. How did that diagnosis come about? Yeah, so it actually is related to our conversation with uh, trans identities. There is some statistic that just shows that there are more folks who are... Uh, who are, who are neurodivergent, who are also trans and gender expansive than when compared to the general population. And so some folks say that it's because you're neurodivergent. And so you're already not really thinking about social, you're, you're thinking about social norms and uh, not in a, in a neurotypical way. And so you're more likely yeah. to go off and explore gender and sexuality in a different way than, than you might otherwise would. Um, so I was, um, I found out that I was autistic a few years ago. Uh, it was, it was. At the beginning of the pandemic, um, and a lot of it was being able to work from home. It was, it was being out of out of that environment and feeling very different. And I just came across, I think, some some media or a show that made me reflect on, on oh, I think that's me. Like I was able to see myself in some of these things, and, and then was able to to seek out the information and the diagnosis.
1: Yeah, I've um, spoken to a lot of people on this podcast who the pandemic really highlighted that they might be neurodiverse because mm-hmm. they either loved being at home alone, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in a space where they felt comfortable yeah. or, it, or it brought up lots of issues, it was almost the opposite. And so diagnosis came from that. So having that diagnosis, what does it mean for you? Like how has it,
2: I guess, impacted your life? Yeah, I, I... I... I think mean, significantly is the short answer. And the longer answer is that I'm able to understand my needs differently and I'm able to advocate for me for my needs in a way that I wasn't before. Uh, so thinking about um, boarding a plane, I travel a lot for work. And so uh, I think it's international, but at least in the U.S. there's something called like a sunflower lanyard that can show that you have a disability that might not be visible. And so it, it makes it a lot easier. It helps reduce the stigma, but I'm able to, to board a plane earlier. I'm able to navigate security differently and being able to just understand that um, it's not just that I hated blinds. It's actually that the, the crowds and the noise and the lines and the like social communication actually causes my brain to shut down. And that is different than, than somebody else who's simply frustrated that they have to wait on a long line. And so being able to acknowledge what my needs are, that it's okay that my brain functions differently than somebody else's brain and that my needs are different. And then I can actually advocate and ask for what I need is, is, has really shifted kind of both my whole perspective on, on how I navigate the world, but also it's, it's, it it has um, eased up a lot of, a lot of challenges that I wasn't able to identify before.
1: Nice. Do you hate supermarkets?
2: <laughs> so i i generally do there's like fluorescent lights there's yes. like people and there's like random beeping all the time there is um Music. Trader joe's, which is a, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah there are there is a there is a supermarket um in the u.s called trader joe's and they like intentionally kind of curate their spaces and so the, that is nice because it's very intentionally curated the lighting is a little bit different the flow is kind of made to feel more intuitive so there are some that aren't that aren't so bad
1: Yeah. There's a, I was asking, cause I, I, I haven't been diagnosed with anything, but I, the super, I find the supermarket very overwhelming because of the reasons that you spoke wow. about. And there's a, a supermarket close to where I live in Auckland that every Wednesday, they have a couple of hours for um, people who, who, I guess, a neurodiverse, have sensory overload and the lights, they've turned off some of the lights. They don't have the music on. Oh, it's brilliant. And there's hardly anyone in there. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) So tell me about the work you do
2: in your business. Yeah. So the work that I do, I have my own consulting business. It focuses on diversity, equity, inclusion, and social impact. And it looks a lot like conversations like this. So I go into workplaces, I talk with teams about LGBT inclusion, diversity inclusion, general and inclusion overall, and how they can make their workplaces places where everyone can thrive, where folks can feel valued and who they are, uh, and where both businesses and people thrive. Because when your people thrive, your business is going to thrive. Your business is made of people. So when your people feel good, your business is just going to do better. It, it just makes sense. Yeah. What are some of the, I guess,
1: Aha moments you've been able to create with people. Have you got any any stories that, yeah, where you've really made an impact in an organization?
2: Yeah, I mean it's really wonderful. So Pride Month is coming up here in June. And so I've talked a lot about LGBTQ inclusion. And it's it's really wonderful to be able to go into spaces and be able to have conversations that folks don't get to have on a daily basis. So The LGBT folks, and particularly the trans folks in the organization, can feel seen and valued and we're able to talk about these things. Um, So some of the aha moments, one is uh, recently, LGBTQ, it's an acronym, it can feel really confusing. And so being able to just alleviate that pressure from folks to say, it's okay if you don't understand each letter. You don't need to. You don't need to understand somebody's identity to be able to respect them, to be able to respect who they are and help them get what they need and, and support folks. You can understand it overall, but language is always going to be imperfect. And we're always just going to, we're trying to capture the complexity of our human experiences in an acronym. And so to think about it more just as the uh, like the association with, with queer community and thinking about gender and sexuality. And so just being able to alleviate some of that pressure has been like a really wonderful experience to be able to have with folks. And now, as you were talking about before, with all of the really difficult things around uh, anti-trans rhetoric and legislation happening, it's really nice to be able to go in and talk about it and say, this is what transgender means. This is why all this legislation is um, ridiculous and just and just attacks and really about consolidating power and has very little to do with actual trans people. But being able to have to, have, to give folks the space to be able to talk about it uh, has, has been really great. Uh, I love that pace around.
1: Explaining to people you don't have to know all the letters in LGBTIQ+, and that's okay. I had someone in my workplace a few years ago during Pride Month say, you can just call us the queer community. And I was like, really? Because that word had such negative connotations for so long. But I've gotten to the practice of using it, and that was so helpful because... People yeah. don't want to offend other people. People want to do the right thing. They want to be seen as doing
2: good. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's hard, right? It's really hard. It's really hard. And, and it's really hard. And, and that's why it's important to have the conversations and intentionally create the space so we can ask, ask the right questions and get the answers that we need. Um, and then also say that it helps us all. So even though we're having an LGBT conversation, inclusion work helps us all. It helps us all feel good about how we're showing up at work. Even for yeah. folks who aren't who aren't necessarily identifying within the community.
1: Yeah, that's so true. I was asked to um provide some ideas for Pride Month for an organization um based in Singapore. And like I'm straight. <laughs> like, I was like, how can I contribute to a community that I don't identify with, but I want to feel included? And so we came down to some broad concepts around accepting, you know, being accepted and belonging and teaching what respect looks like. And
2: Yeah. And that's good for everyone, right? So yeah. It's that good for it. everyone. You can apply those principles very widely across a range of <laughs> a range of issues.
1: Yeah. So where can people find you Nate? How can they get in contact?
2: Yeah, LinkedIn is the best place to find me. I post a lot on LinkedIn. Um, so my LinkedIn page is, is the main place. I host a monthly inclusion roundtable where we just talk about relevant issues that it's free. We talk about uh, really uh, could be issues around neurodiversity or LGBT inclusion or general inclusion in the workplace. Um, and then my website to find out more information about my speaking opportunities and, and all that, rebelimpact.com is the best way.
1: Cool. And I'll put all your links in my show notes. And I had forgotten, you have written for Harvard Business Review.
2: I have, yeah. Tell us about that. That is <laughs> such an honor. <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, it is an article around how to support trans folks in the workplace. So uh, with very specific details and actionable items around what around what that looks like. Uh, it was an article written in conjunction with one of the visibility maybe it was Trans Week Visibility
1: so exciting well done and we'll share that article in the show notes as well thank you so much for coming and speaking to me nate i i really appreciate it and i've learned a lot and i'm sure my listeners will have learned a lot too yeah thank you for
2: having me this is a
0: really at the culture ministry we know how challenging and lonely it can be working in diversity and inclusion and how progress is often slow You might be just getting started in diversity and inclusion, or you might be on your way. The Culture Ministry is here to help you with your diversity and inclusion progress. Go to www.thecultureministry.com to learn more. If you enjoyed this episode and maybe learned something, please share with your friends on social media. Give a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. This makes it easier for others to find a dog called diversity.